What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Modern Markets Podcast, brought to you by FOMOHUD, where we discuss topics ranging from world banking to decentralized platforms. So sit back and enjoy, because you're going to learn today. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, presented by FOMOHUNT, brought to you by Cal Toro and your host, Titan Inc. The summary for today's episode is the world's markets, the coronavirus and the impact it's going to have on the global economy, and, of course, some new cryptocurrency regulations in the U.S. Let's go ahead and dive in. Coming up next is your global markets update. The S&P 500 is currently trading at $3,340. The Dow Jones is currently at $29,000. Bitcoin is currently at $9,726. Bitcoin halving is in 78 days. And decentralized finance contracts are at $1 billion plus. In North America, U.S. stocks and treasury bonds pulled back and gold surged as fears of the coronavirus continue to grow. Crude oil is down as well. We may be moving into a risk-off climate until the rate of infection of the global pandemic slows down or a cure is found. In South America, Nike has made the announcement that it will be partnering with specific South American distributors in order to sell directly to consumers. Grupo Axel will be taking over operations and distribution in Argentina, Uruguay, and Chile. Expected to begin in quarter 3, 2020, this shift in Nike's strategy to bring new products to the market faster and boost online sales. In the European Union, Spain has voted to adopt a digital goods tax in December of 2020. This would apply to all companies that make over $800 million a year or digital sales of $3.2 million a year. The planned 3% tax will be on digital ads and on sales consisting of user data. U.S. companies affected will be Facebook, Google, and Apple. The U.S. initially threatened 100% tariff on all imports from France before Paris agreed to move the tax collection to December. In South Southeast Asia, Thailand is proposing a new economic stimulus package to combat the economic effects of the coronavirus. Minister Thomas Avanayana's plan will include the sectors of tourism, consumption, and investment. Last year, the Thai economy grew 2.4%, though this year may see less than a 2% growth. In the Middle East, concerns amidst the coronavirus may cause a drop in oil prices if it persists into quarter two of this year. Should the infection rate peak in March, recovery should follow shortly after. Countries like the UAE and Qatar have exposure to the Chinese market due to crude oil exports. Oh, the coronavirus. I'm not talking about the coronavirus that you get when you go to the bar. No, that one is, that one's cured with lime. (laughs) That was a terrible joke. All right, guys, so we're going to talk about the coronavirus, obviously. So what's going on with the coronavirus and the global economy? I'm probably going to say coronavirus a million times in this episode, so get used to it. But the novel coronavirus, as it's called, or COVID-19, whatever, 2019 NCOV, whatever they want to call it. This virus originated from Wuhan, China, and has been sweeping China and and closing entire cities down. So what makes this virus any worse than the flu virus that happens every single season? I mean, the flu virus literally happens every single season. And yet the media has overhyped, or maybe not overhyped, maybe maybe they haven't exaggerated on this coronavirus. Maybe this is as bad as they say it is. But regardless... If we want to know what's going to happen to the economy, we need to know how people are responding to it. Because it doesn't necessarily matter how infectious or how fatal these pandemics or viruses are. But what really matters is how do the governments and markets react to this? How do the people react to it? How does the mainstream media react to this? Those are the questions we want to know if we want to understand what's going to happen to the market. Because this is all psychology. The markets are psychology. So let's take a look at the numbers that we have. And by the way, if you guys want to follow along with the information that I'm going through, you can check out our newsletter on Substack called the Modern Markets Newsletter. And the information that I'm looking at right now is according to 
Johns Hopkins, and they're placing the global infection rate at close to 76,000 confirmed cases with 2,248 total deaths. If you look at the chart on coronavirus, it's actually like, it's exponential. It's kind of ridiculous. The chart shows a pretty much like hyperbolic movement, whereas most flu viruses or other virus strains will kind of flatten out after a fairly decent incline. Some of the countries, including the US, Japan, and Australia, have begun initiating quarantine procedures for travelers coming back from countries with known infections. A recent discovery has actually shown infected individuals can spread the virus before showing symptoms. So maybe this is a possibility of why the virus has been able to spread so effectively because of the fact that it is not showing symptoms. So how would you know if somebody is infected with a coronavirus if there are no symptoms? That's problematic. In Wuhan, China, which is actually where the origin of the virus comes from, they're actually spraying this disinfectant. They're spraying it all over the place. It may or may not be actually doing anything, but they've got these little boards they ride around on, spraying these little steam machines, trying to get rid of the virus. Well, how is the market gonna react to all this if it is this bad? Well, companies like Apple, for example, have a couple of plants located in Wuhan, China. And I, I didn't mention this, but in China, entire cities, including Wuhan, of course, have been shut down. I don't know if they're opened up again now. I don't know if they've gone off of quarantine, but for a while they were shutting down entire cities, welding people inside. There's videos of these people being welded inside their homes because of suspected coronavirus outbreaks in the apartment complexes. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, I wouldn't let anybody weld me into my home. I'm gonna break out somehow. And actually you could just climb underneath the, <laughs> climb underneath the, the door. The door won't open all the way, but you can easily just kind of slide in and out <laughs> on some of the videos I saw. So this is this is like the, the reaction that China is giving to, to this virus. And obviously, if this is a reaction that we're seeing or this, this is the reaction that we're getting from China on this, then that's going to affect the economy. And there's just no doubt about it. Obviously, companies like Apple have been affected. They have plants in Wuhan, Hyundai, Estee Lauder, Nintendo, Delta Airlines. They've all expressed concerns that sales will be affected until a solution is found. And that's, there's no doubt about that. Travel companies are gonna get hit probably the hardest. Airlines, they're gonna have very low revenue in the first quarter. And over 421 companies are on record with similar statements on a slowdown in business. The GDP of China has been lowered by half a percentage point. That might not seem like much, but, um, but with an expected 2019 GDP of $14.1 trillion, half a percentage point on $14.1 trillion is quite a large sum of money. And this is obviously going to affect the world economy as China is a very big player in the global economy. But despite the concerns about the coronavirus, why is the US stock market still going? It's been up actually over the last two months. The S&P 500, for example, over the last two months has been up from 2,348 in mid-December to 3,340. Now I have seen an increase in printing of US dollars Obviously, this will help if you add an influx of US dollars to the stock market. That could be what's kind of holding up the stock market at this point. But after this whole thing is over, or maybe closer to election time, we might see a slight crash or drop in the stock market while businesses recover. The cryptocurrency market has also not registered any hesitation over the last month. I mean, Bitcoin actually spiked $10,000. And some altcoins seem to be following with Ethereum and Binance coin also hitting local highs. Remember that fear-mongering is going to be a major player in how you make your investments. Do not play into the fear. 
because if you do, you'll play into the crowd. And that's how you make bad decisions. Make smart decisions. Think logically how the markets will be affected and sustain your wealth. Of course, you can always come back to this podcast for information on the global markets. But as we were talking about cryptocurrency, it's good to mention that there are some new regulations coming in hot. In fact, the U.S. regulatory FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, announced that they are preparing to release new regulations regarding Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. In fact, Treasury Secretary Stephen Muchin spoke before the Senate Finance Committee and reporters earlier this month. He stated, quote, we want to make sure technology moves forward. But on the other hand, we want to make sure that cryptocurrencies aren't used for the equivalent of old Swiss secret number bank accounts. So what are they going to do to solve this problem? Well, this is going to be a solution until other methods are found. But the solution is to get the customer's name, location, and wallet ID via KYC, otherwise known as Know Your Customer. This will be a requirement on all crypto exchanges or on-ramps and off-ramps. If you don't play by the rules, it's going to be very hard to operate. I don't know how this is going to affect uh, decentralized exchanges or DEXs as they're called. Decentralized exchanges are supposed to be, as they are termed, decentralized. However, it's going to be very hard to operate or even start any decentralized exchanges if you do not play by the rules. Eventually, there will be a database of all wallet IDs created or used. If you interact with an exchange, your wallet ID will be logged because there is a need for the federal government as well as the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network to make sure they know exactly who's transacting with who because of, you know, dark markets and terrorism and whatnot. But actually, according to chain analysis, roughly 2% of all transactions using Bitcoin are illicit. I wonder what that number looks like for cash. That number for cash must be much higher because I know a lot of people who use cash for illegal transactions. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know so many people that actually use Bitcoin when they're going to buy their, their vitamins, if you catch my drift. That doesn't actually happen. I know it might be in the newspapers and whatnot, but nobody uses that. They hardly use Cash App or other, other types of digital payment systems because of the fact that the transactions, of course, will be tracked. And it might look a little suspicious to your bank. So most people are actually going to stay away from cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin for illegal transactions, especially because Bitcoin actually has an open ledger. Now, what that means is that anytime a transaction is logged on the Bitcoin network, what happens is that transaction is now logged forever. The only way to reverse or change that transaction is if you have a 51% consensus of Bitcoin miners agreeing to change the block or reverse the block. But I don't even think this has ever happened before on the Bitcoin network because trying to get consensus to change a transaction is almost impossible. Nobody cares enough to change a transaction. Um, there's just not really an incentive to do it. I've never seen a scenario where it would make sense to roll back a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain. And I've never seen a situation where anybody would care enough to organize enough miners or hash power to reverse a block. So really you can't do it. It's not possible. So as far as transactions on the Bitcoin network, federal enforcers would probably rather all transactions be done on the Bitcoin blockchain because they can see those transactions. And as long as they have the to and from wallet addresses stored in their database, they'll be able to find out exactly who's doing the transacting. So Stephen Muchin is concerned about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies 
and famously stated he did not believe cash was laundered all the time or that it was used for illicit transactions. That's actually the quote. The quote is that he did not believe cash was laundered all the time or that it was used for illicit transactions. So he does not believe that cash is used for illicit transactions. Well, I know a lot of people who would beg to differ. So what is the ultimate goal of all these new regulations? Well, if you're following along with the objective of these regulations, the objective is essentially just to get more control over transactions. That's the objective of all federal, all federal agencies is to find a way to obtain more control over the transactions, people in general, etc. So this will be the main objective of these new regulations. It's going to be quite hard to actually regulate Bitcoin because there is nobody to send a tax collection to. <laughs> There's nobody to say, hey, if you don't follow our rules, we're just going to we're going to take you offline. It's just not how it works. The Bitcoin blockchain cannot just be manipulated, taken offline, controlled in any way possible. It's just not possible. Now, what you can do, and this is what they will do, is, of course, like we spoke about, you can get information from every single consumer that interacts with on-ramps and off-ramps. The biggest thing about Bitcoin is unless you know somebody or you, know, you use local Bitcoins uh, or some type of platform to meet up with people in person to do a peer-to-peer -peer exchange of Bitcoin and cash or whatever you're trying to, to transact for, unless you are in person for that, it's almost impossible to actually get Bitcoin. And it's not very convenient, obviously, unless you're using an exchange or an on-ramp and off-ramp. And of course, this is where the problem occurs. The funnel creates this ability to log information from the user if you want to use the services. So in the United States, if you are operating in the United States as a exchange on-ramp or off-ramp, you will be required to implement these regulations. So your wallet ID, your location, and your name will always be logged. And that is the first way to slow down these, quote, illicit transactions no matter how small that percentage might be. But that's all I have for you guys today. If you want to check out our Modern Markets newsletter, you can go to substack.com and type in Modern Markets. Of course, make sure to check back for the next episode of the Modern Markets podcast. Until next time, I'll talk to you ladies and gentlemen in the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Markets podcast with your host, Titan. Don't forget to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas we get are from our listeners. And sign up for our free newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. We tackle some of the hardest hitting stories in banking, fintech, and decentralized payment systems.